welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. So, I want to talk about, uh, we're just going through these Old Testament kind of events, and I um, want to talk about the year of Jubilee. Okay, so Leviticus 25. So, Jubilee is 50. And there was this part of the old in the in the law God set apart. So uh, seven was very important. So the seventh day was the Sabbath. The seventh year was the Sabbath year. And then then they were told to count seven times seven, which is forty nine. And the following year was the Jubilee fiftieth year. So there's a lot of sevens and um, leading up to a Jubilee. Okay. And the year of Jubilee was a really important um, year for the Israelites. So Leviticus 25 talks about the Sabbath of the seventh year. And that was basically they were not supposed to plant anything. And God promised them that even though they didn't plant anything, the harvest for the year before would cover the year they didn't plant anything and the year that they were waiting for the fruit of the harvest of the year that they next planted something um so it was kind of faith god was asking them to trust him and trust him for that because that's quite a tough thing to do but you got all your kids and your family and everything and you're saying i'm not going to plant anything this year Uh, and in fact they never did it yeah it says um Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath to the Lord, you shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. So they they reaped the sixth year, the seventh year they didn't sow or reap. But then the first year again, they'd have to then wait until harvest, until that lot had grown. And actually the Israelites never did it. And that was the reason that they went into captivity into um, Babylon. Because uh, they were in captivity for 70 years. And God said, uh, it's because that makes up for the 70 years of Sabbath rest that you didn't, didn't do. Um, so, so when Daniel talks about, Daniel said it was time, it was the 70th year. And Daniel realized it was time. That was because that's what God had, had said. Um, So anyway, there was this Sabbath year. And then in verse 8, so we're still in Leviticus 25, verse 8. It says, you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself. Seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Okay, mathematics. Then it says, then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month. So... There was this one day, and they called this day the Day of Atonement, interestingly. So there was this trumpet sound, and they had this Day of Atonement. And um, Atonement was uh, the most serious festival or feast of the Jews. And basically, it was the one time of the year where... God took away the sin of the people. And you know the story of Zechariah who, um, when God told him that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a son and they were, he, he was kind of struck mute in the, in the temple. He was ministering in the temple. Well, it's said that that was the Day of Atonement. And on that day, one, what, the high priest, one man, was allowed into the Holy of Holies and he cleansed the Holy of Holies uh, and make, made sacrifice for the people. And the story goes, I don't know how true it is, that it, because they were so afraid of entering into this holy place, they used to tie a rope around the priest so that if he died, they'd be able to pull him out without anybody else having to go into the presence of God and risking dying themselves. So that, if you've ever heard any of those things, is what the Day of Atonement was. It was a, a kind of most holy day. Okay. So it's interesting, it starts with a trumpet and then it says, then you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty. So it was about this proclamation of liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you 
And this is what happened at Jubilee. Each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you, in that you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your unattended vine, for it is jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. So basically what that means is, if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. So it was talking about dealing fairly with one another. And then they had this, they had this system whereby your possession was never out of your possession for longer than, than a jubilee. So basically, uh, well, I'll read it to you. According to the number of years after jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. So basically, if you bought something from your neighbor, you would have to give it back in jubilee. So it meant that you never lost possession for very long. So it was kind of God's restorative system of keeping everybody within the provision that he'd given to them. So that meant if you're buying somebody's land off them and it's just past the jubilee, you pay a lot of money for it because you're going to keep it for 49 years before you have to give it back. But if it's only one year to go before the jubilee, you can't really charge a lot of money for it because... Everybody knows the person who's buying it is going to have to give it back the following following year. So that's what it's talking about. Yeah, it's a bit like renting, and you you know there's a end date on it. Yeah. The whole nation, yeah, for everybody. It's just quite fascinating God's heart for. I mean, we don't live in a system of jubilee in this respect, but it's really interesting God's heart of provision. And how he wanted people to treat one another. Because it's kind of a great equaliser. It means that you, you, don't, you don't have a group of people who live forever in poverty. Because it's kind of provided. And when they came out of Israel and went to the promised land, they all got the land divided equally. I mean, as equally as it could be, but they were all given their portion. And that portion was forever in the possession of their family. Now, if they got poor or needed money or whatever, they could sell a portion of that land, but it would always come back in Jubilee. And that's why Ruth, if you remember the story of Ruth, they, took, they talk about Ruth and Naomi, they, they talk about this kinsman redeemer. And basically, they, they, it came to the point where Boaz could buy back for them that, that they, had, they had lost. And so that, that's kind of part of that idea that land was always in the possession of the family and it could be bought back or redeemed back. Okay, but at the Jubilee it was given back. So everything that was had been stolen, everything that had been bought, everything was given back. It's fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So according to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of years of the crops. Therefore you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God. For I am the Lord your God. And then it talks about the provisions of the seventh year. So you shall observe my statutes and dwell in the land in safety. And the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce, then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year, until its produce comes, and you shall eat of the old harvest. Fascinating. Carry on reading. There's all this redemption of property, law concerning slavery. So... If you had a servant or, you, or somebody who was working for you, you had to give them back in the year of Jubilee. So nobody would be a slave or a servant forever, unless they wanted to be. In which case they had this right whereby if they wanted to re remain in your service, then they became uh, part of the family really. And that's where they pierced the ear. It talks about them putting their ear on the doorpost and putting a thing through their ear just to show that they were... get well their lifespan at that time was supposed to be 120 years 
That's what God had promised them. So everybody had like Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how. Yeah, but yeah, potentially, everybody yeah. Yeah, so it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was a set year. It was a particular. It wasn't just fifty years from when you you didn't have your personal jubilee. It was this is the year of the starting on year one when they started the Passover. Yeah. So basically, they gave um, um, they gave people back, and um, that was the system. Okay. So basically, everything that had been stolen or lost or sold or whatever was returned to you in the year of Jubilee. Okay. So, um, at the beginning of the year of Jubilee, it started with atonement. And the Day of Atonement happened every year, okay, but it's quite interesting that the year of Jubilee starts with the Day of Atonement. And after the Day of Atonement, then starts the year of Jubilee. So, um, Le Leviticus 23. So that was talking about Jubilee. And then, I'm not going to read it all for you, but um, some of these feasts are quite interesting. So there was this Day of Atonement, Leviticus 23. You can read it in Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 23, 26. So I'm just in 23. So it talks about this 10th day of the seventh month shall be the Day of Atonement. It was the most holy day. They weren't to work and um, they... Basically, anybody who didn't do get involved in the Day of Atonement was, it says, cut off from his people. Okay, so it was a really serious, serious deal, and it was a solemn festival. Okay, so I'm going to skip now to Leviticus 16. The whole chapter is about atonement. It's really interesting if you're interested, but I'm not going to talk about it all. I'm just going to skim through it. But if you want to just read it, it's quite interesting. So, basically, there were a number of things about the Day of Atonement. And this was the day that Israel got right with God once a year. And all of their sins were taken away from them. And um, so, it was all down to the, the high priest going into the holy place. So, there was one man who could go into the holy place. And the holy place had the mercy seat, which, if you remember, was this kind of box and the two angels over the box. And God had said he would dwell under the wings of the angels. And so they basically this one man, this high priest, uh, this uh, Levite would go in into the presence of God and minister to God. So they had all these special clothes, all these holy clothes they had to wash and whatever. Okay, verse 5. He should take from the congregation of, it, of the children of Israel two kids of the goats of a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering and a bull as a sin offering. So basically there was these offerings all the time. You had to make an offering for Aaron, who was the high priest at that time, to cleanse himself. And then he had to make an offering for the people that they would be cleansed. And then it's this bit I want to talk about, seven. He should take two goats. So he made an offering, cleansed himself, another one for the people. And then they got two goats and they cast lots for these two goats. So one was allocated to be the scapegoat. I don't know if you've heard of that term. A scape we use it in English. The scapegoat is the one that you blame for everything. So if you have a scapegoat, yeah, they're like they're the one that takes the blame all the time, yeah. And then there was another uh another one uh which was for a sin offering. Okay. So the scapegoat was kept alive and basically what the, what they did is they uh Aaron would put his hands onto this goat and would put the sin, transfer the sin of the people onto the scapegoat. And then they would send the goat out into the wilderness. And basically it was about taking away the sin of the people, away from the people. And, um, so, and then they went in to do the offering and they made incense in the, uh, at the mercy seat and he could only go in with incense and... He put blood over the, the mercy seat and, and there was this atonement made uh, for the uncleanness of the people. Okay, so it's all types, right? <laughs> I think 
they had to take it and make sure it, it didn't. But they didn't kill that goat. It just went away. Um, okay. I know. Well. So 21 says, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel, all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. 22, the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. Okay. And um, that's what Jesus did. So this word bear comes up again, and we'll look at it again. But it's this, it's this idea, you know, Jesus was crucified outside of the city. He was, and he was a scapegoat. And that's why Isaiah 53 says he bore all of our... Um, let me read it. Oh, well, oh, not yeah. we'll go back to Isaiah 53. He bore our iniquities, yeah. Um, he says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Okay, that's my translation. We'll talk about that when we come to it. But this, this type of the scapegoat is what Jesus did. He was a scapegoat. And that's why our sin is separated from us. Yeah, our sin has been taken away from us. So it's not that we, we are in our sin, but God just lives with it because, you know, he knows we're sinners, but he just kind of best he's actually borne it away from us and actually when we get to Isaiah 53 that's exactly what he did with our sickness as well he bore our sickness and took it away from us so this is this idea of atonement so it's really interesting there was a year of jubilee which started off with atonement which is a type of the cross so this year when when Everything was sorted out. Sin was settled. Everything was made pure and made clean. And then they had the year of Jubilee. And what happened in the year of Jubilee, which is after atonement, right? You get atonement, sin is dealt with, then it's Jubilee. So what happens in Jubilee? You get everything back that you lost. Don't you? Everything's returned. Everything that you lost, everything that you sold, everything you gave away. Uh, your, your slavery, if you're in slavery, you're not in slavery anymore because that's jubilee. It's set free. And um, we, we all know this passage in Luke, which uh, Jesus, if you remember, Jesus went into the synagogue in Luke 4. And... Um, so this was just after the temptation. So Jesus was just starting his ministry and he was being tempted in the um, wilderness. And as he came out of the wilderness, um, he then kind of started, began his ministry. And Luke 4 says he came to Nazareth. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it, it was written. And then there's this famous kind of passage that he read from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord okay and then he says 20 he says then he closed the book gave it back to the attendants and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them I mean you wonder why don't you maybe they knew he was a great teacher or or because it said it was his custom to do that so they he'd read this passage and they're all kind of thinking what's he going to do now so he obviously had developed a reputation for don't know what, being a good teacher or something. And then he says this profound thing. He says, he began to say to him, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Which basically means what this scripture was talking about is, is, is fulfilled. It is now. So Isaiah had prophesied this and then Jesus said, it's fulfilled. Here I am. And this little verse in 19 says, it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that is proclaiming jubilee. The acceptable year of the Lord is jubilee. 
So what, what that means when it, when it says this, because we, we think, we've heard loads of stories about, you know, New Year's messages, this is the acceptable year of the Lord or whatever. But what it actually means is declaring jubilee. And so I think this type is, you know, we've got a type of atonement, which is the cross. I mean, the cross is what atonement was all about. It was about taking away the sins of the people. And the consequence of that, after atonement, and this is the atonement, Jesus is not going to the cross every year on the Day of Atonement since then, it's Jubilee. So as far as I'm concerned, we're living in Jubilee. Which is a celebration time, and we get everything back. And as a consequence of the fall, there was a lot of stuff that was stolen from us. There was a lot of stuff we gave away. There was a lot of stuff that, that um, put us into bondage. And... It's jubilee. It's all given back. It's all returned. The possession is returned to us. So we don't have any reason to be in slavery, in bondage, to be have things stolen from us, such as our health or our provision or our well-being. That's not to say it doesn't happen, but what it means is this is jubilee. And, and it's not our... It, it's not... We don't live in this place of saying, oh, well, that's just how it is. We can live in this place saying, you know what, this is jubilee. And I don't have to be in slavery anymore because it's jubilee. And I've got a, you know, I've got a, a reason to know why everything can come back to me that was originally mine. It's a restoration of all, of all things. So it's just another type. And um, that's what Jesus was proclaiming. So after atonement is jubilee and atonement is finished, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the law means to pay off in total. So that doesn't mean to say the law had no validity. It doesn't mean to say the law was evil. The law was not evil. Um, we don't understand it and I, I don't claim to understand it, but it wasn't a mistake it wasn't you know it's too rich and there's too much prophetic richness in it for it to be a mistake i'm really glad i'm not living under the law to be honest because i couldn't do it and i would not like to do it but um jesus came to fulfill the law which means he paid it it's like fulfilling a mortgage you pay it off once you've paid it off the mortgage was valuable at the time it had its purpose but once you've paid it off it's finished. You never go back to that mortgage because it's finished. You're free from it and you live in the benefit of, of what that mortgage was all about. And um, you don't keep going back to it and saying, oh, it was good to be paying for my house, so I'm going to keep paying the mortgage, even though it's finished because Jesus fulfilled the law. He, rede he, he paid it off in full. In fact, he paid it off in double, not in, in full, if you really want to be... Uh, <laughs> find your scriptures for that but um he overpaid it to be honest right so if you want to read about that scapegoat um leviticus um 16 is the whole chapter 23 is a little summary um they called this um you know, this Ark of the Covenant, they called it the Judgment Seat. But they also called it the Mercy Seat. And as, it, as the priest sprinkled it with blood, it became mercy, not judgment. So it became the Mercy Seat once the sacrifice, sacrificial blood was put on the Judgment Seat. And that's how, you know, we live in God's mercy, not His judgment. Because that's part of what, what the blood of Jesus has done. So it's mercy, not judgment. I know. Judgment, judgment. Sprinkling of blood. Well, it's meaningless to us because we don't, we don't understand the... Yeah, yeah. There's so much more. Right, okay. So everything lost is recovered in full. 
Um, everything is returned to man. Um, let's see what what these scriptures say. Forgotten. It is. Well, I think that's what is restored back to us. But we are living in this this age, this moment in time whereby we receive from God by faith. Once we are once either we are uh well, once we are living in our glorified bodies, let's put it like that. It is a different age. Those are the ages to come that Ephesians talk about, and who knows what that is going to be. Uh, you know, there's promises about what it's going to be, but this is the dispensation of faith. This is the time when God relates to his people by faith, which means it's not automatic. As soon as you become a Christian or whatever, you don't automatically get perfect health and whatever. We still, death is not yet defeated. Um, it's defeated, but it's not yet chained up and whatever. So we're still living under the influence of death and hell in this world. This world is still under that influence uh, until until such a time. But we are not under that. We are in this world, but not of the world. We are we we are living in the reality of what Jesus has done. But that's why our walk is by faith, because we have to live in the reality of the truth when we don't always see the truth you see if as soon as you became a christian if as soon as you you know you believed that was it you never sinned again you never got sick again you you know you never whatever there'd be no need for faith because it would just be handed to you on a plate but for whatever time whatever reason at this time is is this dispensation of faith and to be honest that's because of the nature of god 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 is a god of faith he operates by faith. It's part of his nature and we're made in his nature. He, he has great faith in us that we will be who he says we will be. He created the earth by faith. He spoke and spoke it into being. He, Jesus, he sent Jesus. Jesus came. It's by faith. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. He could have chosen not to. God is a God of faith. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't think God, I don't think it's kind of like for our good. I think it's actually the privilege that we have at the moment to actually love God. Because we're not forced to. Yeah. We, can, we can choose to believe. And that's how we love God. I mean, if God was sitting here every day on a golden throne and, you know, beaming out kind of radiant glows of whatever... Life would be very different. It would be nice. <laughs> but there's something about us responding in faith to God that is, is actually is a, is part of our godly character. Mm. Mm -hmm. Jesus is called the word, yeah. Go on. Now you said before, if Jesus spoke and the world was created, if God spoke, you said something else, spoke and sent then Jesus. No, what I'm saying, sorry, I probably I put a full stop in that. It's another example of the faith of God. God sent Jesus, who was sent as the Word. He was sent as the Word. And that was by faith. Jesus could have chosen not to go to the cross. He had complete free will to do to to not go to the cross. But God, God the Father, if they can ever be separated, you know, it's we can't understand these concepts. But we think sometimes, oh, it's not fair. We have to live by faith. But God also is a God of faith. He also has an enormous faith in us. 
He lives himself according to who he says we are. He relates to us according to who he says we are and not according to what he sees us as. That's called faith. So we live in the benefit of God's faith in us. Do you understand? No? I can't imagine it. But sometimes we get a bit, oh, I don't want, to, don't want it to be by faith. That's not fair. Or, you know, why is God so mean? It has to be by faith. But actually it's because it's who he is. And because it's kind of, um, it's part of his nature. And, and at this time, until such a time as whatever is going to happen, um, we have the privilege of living by faith. There's not, there's, there's, you know, this number of generations of us who have that, who have that privilege and... Angels don't get that privilege. Well, it's really interesting because before the cross, it was also by faith. Because Abraham was justified by faith, not by the law. But they didn't have the benefit that we have of having the indwelling faith of God in us. So it became... Well, except they didn't live by faith eventually. They, they did live by faith because living by faith is living according to what God says. Yeah, but they, they were walking around. Yeah, but they still didn't believe what God said. So they had to live according to God says, don't do that. And we trust him and love him. Well, we have it better because we have the indwelling faith of of Jesus. Now, whether I'd, I mean this, I I don't know. I, I I have no idea about whether we are better than Adam from point of view of our spiritual makeup or the same as Adam. I, I we can argue about that for years to come, but uh, but basically. They also had to live by faith. And what faith is, is believing in the goodness of God. It's believing God is good. It's believing that God is who he says he is. And eventually they decided not to. Yeah, I mean, it's not, so, it's not only his faith in us, it's his faith that we can also use for whatever else. Yeah. Because he gives us his faith. That's the gift that we get when we're saved. Absolutely. Yeah. Faith is a gift, yeah, and it's the f it's the faith of God that we have. Well, that's called unbelief. That's just not using the faith you've got. You've been listening. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Ephesians 2 says, um, um, Rose just talked about it. It says, for by grace you have been saved. What grace is, is everything that God did for us that we didn't do for ourselves. Okay. So there's hundreds of definitions of grace, but it's just basically it's everything that he's done for us. It's, it's, it's everything that we get that we don't deserve. It's everything that was accomplished for us on the cross that we didn't have anything to do with. It was nothing to do with us. But then it says through faith. So we are saved by grace through faith. So we access grace through faith. So we don't have a gospel of grace. We have a gospel of grace through faith. Now the problem is, which means that if you don't believe in the grace of God, then you don't, then, then you don't benefit from any of the grace of God. It's not an automatic thing because you access it through faith. It's like putting the plug in the socket. The electricity is there all the time. But the electricity is no benefit to you until you put the plug in. But then it says, and that not of yourselves. The faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So God gives us his faith as a free gift, which we then use to access his grace. Now, the, now of course, we struggle with unbelief, but it's a massive shift from what most of us have believed. Because what we used to believe is, right, it's up to me, it's my faith. I've got a faith, I've got a faith, it's up to me. Uh, I've got to, yeah, drum it up. I've got to do whatever you have to do to get faith. I mean, what have we done to get faith? <laughs> what have we done in the past? I mean, I, if any of you have been in any kind of church where you've got to get faith, You've got to use faith. You've got to whatever. Striving, fasting, praying, praying more, fasting more, works, reading your Bible more. Now, please get me clear. If you read your Bible, that will really help your faith to become effective. Because faith is based in the Word, and the Word is true and living. And it, 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 it is one of the things that, that enables you to operate in the faith that you've got. But you can't get faith by spending 20 minutes a day reading your Bible. It just, it just encourages your faith. Fasting will really help you in faith if you're struggling with unbelief. Because it, it does something to you that says, it does something to your body that says, you know what body, I, I'm just going to live in the truth of who I am. And you're not going to be the one that is controlling me. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to choose to, to live in the dominance of my spirit life and not in my flesh life. And it's just a, it's just a, it just helps you sometimes to get your balance in, into control. But you don't, God doesn't add a bit more faith every time you fast. It's not like God kind of tops up your faith and, and you, you kind of get to that point of faith. So it's not that doing these things doesn't have any benefit. There are benefits to reading the Bible. There are benefits to fasting. There are benefits to setting yourself aside to pray. There are benefits to that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you ever do it. But for many of us, um, we have lived in a striving place where you're just trying to get faith. All the time trying to get faith. And, you know, this is happening because you don't have enough faith. That's happening because you don't have enough faith. And... It's all rubbish. You have as much faith as you are ever going to have for the rest of eternity. You already have it. So none of us have a faith problem. Because God is fair. And he has given to each of us the measure of faith. And that is the measure of faith that we need to be saved and to live in the fullness that he has given us. Um, I, I personally think we have a problem with unbelief. Um, and that's a matter for another day. Um, but it's quite freeing to realize we have faith. It is the faith of God. He's given it us as a gift. And therefore, it's not troubling or troublesome to do things by faith. It's a pleasure. It's, it's, it's being who we really are. It's, it's ex the excitement of being able to speak into being that that doesn't exist. To... to uh, that's that's how he's created us to be. It's that it's the it's the thrill of being able to to co-work with him, being like he is, and um, 
accepting the truth of it. It says here, truth is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what faith is. <laughs> You do have. Yeah. You do have. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Because it takes all the rubbish away. We, we, we have to use our faith. I mean, it, there is this point. I mean, I mean um, the whole book of James and different parts of it. You can say you have faith, but there's this issue of the, the works of faith. But what that means is there becomes evidence of your faith. When you have the faith of God, it becomes evidence in your life because faith has works with it. Faith causes things to happen. It, 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 it's, a, it's a living, powerful thing that causes an effect. So if you're sitting there saying, oh, well, I've got faith, I've got faith, and, and actually nothing's happening, then or you're not doing anything, and I don't mean doing as in doing something to prove something it just faith you know faith is creative it, it causes things to happen it has a benefit in your in your life Which is why James says, you know, I, I will show you my faith by my works. And that works might be, well, yeah, I just heard the most devastating news in the world, but God's great and I'm going to worship him today. That's, that's the work of faith. It's not, I fasted 60 days and I have this and I'm, you know, that's not, it's not the striving works of faith. It's just there's evidence. Once you are living on that solid rock of this is who I am, this is who God's made me to be. I'm not easily swayed from that. Yes, bad things can happen. Bad things do happen and continue to happen. But that's not, that's not shifting me off my solid place, nor out of my place of intimacy with God. Or, you know, it's not causing me to be tossed and turned, tossed and to and fro, which is what doubt and unbelief is when you're. You know, something bad happens, you don't believe. Something good happens, you do believe. Something good happens, you might not believe. You know, that's that's the tossing and turning of of unbelief, really. And it's where you, faith is this solid place. Not that bad things don't happen, because bad things do happen. But it's just, I'm not really going to be moved from this place of, yeah, God is still good, and um, his provision is still there. And nothing really has changed. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about that. Yeah. No. It's not about the bravado of faith. It's not about, I'm going to give up my job. I'm going to give up. I'm going to, you can do those things in faith, but that is not what, it, and I think sometimes in our Christian storytelling, we love those people who've done those amazing things. And, and sometimes that faith, that is faith, and sometimes it's just stupidity, to be honest. It's just, you know, because I'm going to look good doing this, but God never really asked you to do it. And I think faith is more that just, not shifting from in your relationship with God it's not that joy just never goes it just and that becomes evidenced because you don't end up a you know a quivering wreck when something bad happens you don't you know start blaming God when something happens I mean we've all been there I've been there I've blamed God for loads of things in the past but there comes a point where you realize no that isn't the walk of of faith because that's not who God 
is and it's not it's not the god faith in me working and expressing itself so but that's why we fight a good fight of faith no it's incredibly challenging words to say in a grace church but paul fought a good fight of faith he said it was glorious but that's what it is i think it's not doing the valiant brave kind of i mean it can be it can be god can say you know do something and and there's been loads of great kind of men and women of faith who've done amazingly brave things but i think that fighting the good fight of faith is being the best mum you can be as well i mean that is as valid uh fighting the good fight of faith as you know giving up everything and going to china or or whatever people do you know it's 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 not about those big kind of crazy things that we do for god it's just about i'm going to stay here and i'm not moving um that's slightly off piste but that's great I don't believe God is that unkind that he separates some people from from receiving the goodness that he has and that's why he's given a free gift of faith to everybody. I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's and I'm not saying it's an easy thing and and why do we get saved? I I don't know why was it that you know i'm sitting in a room and i think yeah god i believe and i believe and there's however many other people in the room who don't i don't know but i know god is not cruel and i know he doesn't separate some people for never believing and i know the bible says he's it's for all so for everybody they are all given i think multiple opportunities to believe and i think when we look at our own lives we look back and you think maybe not for believing but for say hearing a truth about god or or something you look back and you think you know what god's been saying that for absolutely years but i just never quite heard it so i honestly believe that anybody who goes to god and says god i just don't believe but i'd really like to just don't think god is going to say sorry love not for you you know it just that's not who god is but most people don't want to humble themselves most people want to want to live in unbelief most people want that because it it suits them because they have all this preconceived ideas about who god is or what they'll have to do if they become a christian which is partly the church's well a big part of the church's fault but i honestly i just can't believe that the god who loves us will listen to somebody's cry of their heart saying i want to believe and we'll just say no i don't get that from god but i do believe that that for lots and lots of reasons people struggle to get to that point where they actually want god i would say but i don't know the answer to that question i mean has anybody else got a better answer i don't know i don't know why i believe my sister doesn't believe we heard the same things i, I don't know God doesn't love me more. I wasn't separated out before eternity to believe him and she wasn't. I don't believe that. I don't believe that there's a set number of us who should be saved. It's for all. He forgave the sin of all. So therefore God in his kindness to us makes a way for all of us. But we can choose to reject it. So I know a lot of people say I just can't believe when I gave up work people had such a different response to me but quite an unexpected number of people came up to me and said i wish i'd got what you've got which shocked me a bit because i thought they would be more likely to say stop being so stupid or whatever but there was a, quite a bit of admiration i suppose or i don't know what the word is not admiration anyway whatever the word is that people were kind of saying i can't be like you but i really wish i could be like you and i i understand that and i do understand i mean this one guy who comes to the curry club who just says i i just can't believe you know it's just no i'm just but everybody believes something 
And if you're not believing in this, then you're believing in another philosophy or, or another whatever your philosophy is. You have to believe something because we are people who live in belief. Mm. But everybody has a philosophy of life somehow. also believe that um you know there's quite a number of books written um i think it's it was it one called who moved the stone or something like that and there's quite a number of people who have set off as absolute complete atheists who have set out to disprove the bible and at the end of it they believe and i think these people who say i just can't believe it's like me kind of sitting outside the university and saying, well, I just can't be a professor of mathematics. I just can't be a professor of mathematics. Well, of course I can't be a professor of mathematics unless I go and start reading about mathematics and start applying myself and studying. And I think a lot of people who, who say they can't believe actually have... I'm going to contradict myself here now, okay? Have actually done nothing to try and believe. Now, belief is a free gift of God. But if you are saying, I just can't believe, well, do you want to or do you not want to? And if you do want to, I can point you in quite a few places where I can help you to believe. This is one of them. I mean, any number of other places. And I think if people really want to believe, I think, first of all, I think God is really merciful and he will do something. Um, so I understand that heart cry of people who just say, I can't believe. But I think, what that means is they haven't had a dawning of revelation in the middle of the night where something has completely changed for them. Thank you for listening to the Our Destiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.